Welcome, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to our number two of the case study with Nicholas. If you haven't checked out number one yet, well, actually, long story much short, we recorded an amazing episode, but it was too long, so we cut it in two parts. So the first part uh, you can find in your podcast provider, and this is the second part, but it would be highly recommend to first uh, check out the first part. Anyway, on this part, uh, together with Nicholas, we're going to dive into a situation and yeah, pretty much to give you a listener case study, and in this version, we're going to dive into uh, buying a house versus investing in the stock market and just like roughly everything around it we really dive deep into real estate and all the metrics and things that come with it and just the worries and specifically investing in the Netherlands in Nicholas case but also just a lot of other European contexts that are kind of brought into it which actually make for a really interesting case study and just a strong um, build up and overview of like you know what the heck does it mean to buy a place and what comes with it and you know all the little taxes and you know not the exact details apply in every single country the same but the general approach still absolutely does and then in the end well just importantly how to manage an investment in general in the sense of like how do you manage your portfolio how does it roughly look in life like do you use a spreadsheet um what kind of crazy fancy tools have you got running to automate everything that's um where we finish up with and yeah i think i hope you would really enjoy the show enjoy it Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, geo-arbitrage, and making the most of your money. This was your host, Alvar Erminta and Matthias. Nicholas, as a second question, what would you really um, yeah, love an answer on? The other train of thought is that I was looking at, well, you know, because again, I was at the point where I don't know much about, I don't know anything about investment, but I do have a fairly good idea about the properties uh, in the sense that uh, I, I also, we, we own the, uh, an apartment uh, that we live in here in the Netherlands. So, you know, so we, have a, we have a good idea on properties and houses and how the process works. But then it's like, you know, is it the, 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 the smartest thing to do versus investment? So then we went down to the down the path of investing or looking into it and then yeah it turns out it actually do get taxed on that and you, and you need to make a fair bit of number to let's say overcome and compensate for the the disadvantages of of having a, let's say a second property portfolio thank you very much for that nicholas and i think that's a really good question to you know for everybody because in the end you know we're all with a question like do i throw all my savings into a down payment and get myself a property and get this nice cash flow doesn't make sense in the end and versus uh, you know do i just pile my money into an etf and get my well average seven percent return a year and you know where does that leave me in the next 10 years what does it mentally do with me like the stress of owning my own place versus just you know having it sit and relax in a bank account or a stockbroker account and working from there uh, i would actually also be really interested in my co-host's uh, take on this and I know my co-host Arminta once helped somebody through this process. Um, Arminta, could you give us your take on this? So that's a really interesting debate. And honestly, both stocks and real estate have very good pros and cons. It really all depends on what are your goals. What I like about real estate is that it brings in passive income. So you can, every month you get in your income and if your mortgage is lower than uh, what your tenants are paying, then you're getting a bit of a profit and that's that's really cool. And it's the more real estate you buy, the more it snowballs uh, and it's a great way to earn passive income. The thing with stocks is if you want passive income from dividend, um, dividend investing, you're going to need like 
minimum 100k uh, portfolio, which will take a long time to build up. So real estate, if you want passive income in the next two or three years, is is a good way to go. It also depends in which country you're living in. Honestly, I know nothing about the Netherlands. I don't know if the the real estate market is overvalued there. But uh, in Spain, for example, if you go down south, you can buy a property for literally like 50k, which is a good deal. Uh, and if it's in a good state, then you you can either do it on a mortgage or if you have the cash, you can buy yourself and then um, you just rent it out. And uh, if you're a beginner on this, I would recommend starting with, with smaller numbers. It also depends on your credit score, on whether you, you how easy it would be to get a mortgage. Because um, if, if it's easier for you to get a mortgage, then I would recommend, yeah, getting started with real estate. Because uh, if you put in like a 20% down payment... Um, your return on investment it won't be you know twelve percent. It will be it could be three hundred percent, right? Because you're putting only a smaller part down. So really depends on what you really want. Nicolas, do you know kind of what what you're aiming for with uh, real estate? Well, it was again like you just mentioned was passive income and also to you know uh, secure the, the the property. So over the let's say twenty years or thirty years, you know eventually pay it off and then retire again somewhere else uh, and then just have the live off the fat of the land as they say in, in English but uh, the, the the other reality is when we when I was looking through this process was that okay um, it sounds nice you know having let's say um, 30% 40% uh, maybe 50% uh, passive income from the from from from, from rental of, of the second property but the reality is that yeah you have the money it's stuck in in brick and mortar you know you can that, that is no longer liquid if you need let's say the uh, money uh, immediately for an emergency or something then yeah you have to sell the property you go through the process um, and then on top of that you also have the maintenance uh, costs you know I mean the, the percentages there vary as well from you know one percent to to five percent on how much you should actually put aside a year for uh, renovating the property and that's again adds up as well so if you're not making i mean from from my calculations if i was to put a my place for rent would be like in the range of 15 percent 10 to 15 percent uh, after the mortgage after taxes after fees etc which yeah it's not that high when you're like talking about, I don't know, 150, 200 euros a month profit. Yeah, that, that's that's true. So really, um, it really it depends on the country because in some places it's easier. It also depends how the system favors it. So for example, in Spain, you need to pay 10% on what you buy, and then you need to pay you need, then you need to pay capital gains tax. So depends. I don't know how it is in the Netherlands, but depends how the tax works. Because sometimes it's it's not worth it, and you're right. Honestly, uh, if you want a rule of thumb, the one percent rule is really good. Uh, you find a property for a certain price, and you want the rental income to be one percent of that price. So, for example, if your property is 100k, 100,000 euros, you want to be earning at least a thousand in rent every month, and that will give you a return of 12 percent in one year, which is pretty cool. So, with that rule of thumb, you can really look around and see if that property would work for you and if it doesn't then it will bring a lot of headaches so i yeah do a lot of due diligence and research before buying a property but i think in the long run you know people just they retire on their passive income from different rental properties so it's really yeah it might be you know maintenance costs and all that might be a bit complicated but really the benefits are are really good in the long run so it really depends. So, Arminta, in essence, uh, you mean by that that twelve percent is like the threshold to like kind of make it work, 
worth it. Otherwise, with all the risks involved, you know, you don't gain anything out of it and you might as well just invest in the stock market. Because, okay, I actually think it's a really great comment and also important to throw in for the Dutch-specific situation. There is this distinction between your primary residence, to so say, um, the home where you live in and you rent a room out. That's way more tax beneficial than buying a second, third or fourth or fifth place, uh, renting them all out because um, those will actually be heavily taxed. And that's kind of a thing. So if you want to keep it small and just rent out your own place to either a bunch of students or you have a multiple unit building and it's, you know, one big house and you rent a couple uh, rooms out, like that's quite tax beneficial. But if you go crazy and get like 20 properties, that's actually pretty hard in the Netherlands. Um, uh, we also talked a little bit about like the home values and the returns on that um, earlier. And what's important to throw in, like in the Netherlands, the, yeah, the house market has been really booming like crazy the last years. And it's meeting the 1% rule. I think unless you go uh, via Airbnb or you found another creative way with six different students, it's almost going to be impossible simply because of the, yeah, the, the initial purchase prices and the tax costs and the realtor costs involved of purchasing place. Maybe if you go to uh, Groningen or like one of the places like, you know, more or in like the local rural Netherlands, you'll be able to meet your 1% rule, but otherwise it's going to be really tough. Yeah, the, the Netherlands is can be good for real estate, but at this very moment, it's just really expensive. Yeah, so Nicholas, any thoughts on uh, all our crazy discussions? It's spot on what you've said. And also I agree with the comment about the, the percentage, you know, that it has to be, I think the 12% or, or at least above 10%, it's a good percent to make it worthwhile. Otherwise, it's just not worth the, the, the headache. It, it, well, in my opinion as well, uh, other people might have different views on that. I agree with you. Um, if my property, like the one that I, I helped someone buy their property and <laughs> their property meets meets like the 0.6% rule. <laughs> and um, uh, so it didn't really, you know, it didn't make it. But you don't have to buy property in the Netherlands unless it's your primary residence. But if you go to different countries such as Spain or I'm sure other places like uh, Portugal or maybe in the south of uh, Europe, you will find properties that meet the 1% rule. You will find them. But obviously you need much more work and research. But yeah. And you have to consider that if you want to get a loan for it in, in the Netherlands, they're not giving it for property in, in, in Portugal or Spain. So you need to get mortgage, you, you need to get it in, in Spain and that's more expensive than getting it in, in Germany or in, in the Netherlands, I would say. And one thing to add maybe is if you want to sleep well, <laughs> maybe, maybe just having a portfolio of dividend stocks, it's, uh, they, they're not waking you up at night, you know, and uh, if you have <laughs> some, some real estate, maybe, oh, the roof, where's the roof, you know. <laughs> That's a misconception. I think if you have a property manager that's managing all your real estate, you don't need to worry about that. And if you snowball your properties, it's a fast track to retiring or, or financial independence. Really, once you get one done, the second one is easier then the third one, then the fourth one, then the fifth one. It's just it's a snowball effect and everyone gets very scared about it. But if you do one and you think that you can do another one, I think over the long term, it's a very beneficial. And I, I have friends who, um, my friend in, in Edinburgh, and she's, her property in Edinburgh is like 1.5% rule. Like she's doing really well and um, she's going to buy a second one. And then it's, it's just a snowball effect. And uh, the first one will be the hardest, but after that you will, yeah, you'll get better. Yes, it's the real estate versus stocks debate, but we've got this amazing thing in Europe where we've got like 28, 27, whatever, when the UK leaves different countries, um, where you can 
invest in where you can purchase properties and where it's, you know, yes, you can take, you can go to a Dutch bank and be like, hey, you know, give me 200k and I go to Spain to buy a place. I mean, maybe you can if you go to really difficult ways, but say as a Dutch person, you want to buy it in Spain, you can actually do that. You've got those investment opportunities available and we can cherry pick pretty much like the best possibilities around Europe, work in the high income countries and buy in the most yielding countries in terms of real estate. That's a cool thing we've got available to us. doesn't say as a European you can buy in the US or Canada or, or something like that, but it's just a lot harder and you need way more cash to actually go on with that. And I'm an expert on the topic, so we're not going to dive into that. But just like, you know, we it's fairly doable for us to buy property in other countries. And that right and that opportunity is, you know, it's actually pretty valuable if you do your research. And if you're willing to put invest some time, you can actually gain way higher yields than you would ever be able to gain with stocks. And then it's pretty much it equals doing research and doing hard work equals more yield equals faster uh, FI financial independence journey. I could add a little comment also for those who cannot be bothered with doing real estate individually there's also crowdfunding and we have an episode that's going to come out soon where we interview uh, a friend of mine Christoph he has a company where you you can simply invest and he does all the dirty work and then he gives you back your investment so that's another path for those who can't be bothered in buying you know their own properties you can crowdfund send it to someone else who knows what they're doing and then you get the investment back so really good note and as a last one also to throw on uh, REITs as stock investments are pretty much big funds that's investing in real estate for you and give pretty decent yields varying from like four to twelve percent if you go crazy in the u.s but yeah, that's also a way if you want exposure to real estate, if you buy a REIT or a couple of REITs, yeah, and that way you can still get exposure to real estate without, you know, having the crazy risk of owning the property yourself and you can easily sell on the stock. Yeah, and just get your money back. It's not as profitable as real estate, but it's another way of getting exposure to it. Uh, and I think we've kind of like that covered every possible way to invest in real estate. We've probably forgotten a couple. So if any of our listeners know of like uh, a cool platform or like another way to like invest in a good tax sheltered way in real estate, let us know. But for now, we're going to wrap up this topic and uh, dive on to the next one. Nicholas, what's the next thing you would like to ask us? We've covered uh, about the passive income and uh, that one we mentioned some percentages that you can get from uh, returns on your uh, portfolios. But those percentages are not guaranteed, correct? Correct, yes. And you have to like diversify. You have to, uh, let's say, maybe invest more so you can have a higher percentage. The more you invest, the more you're going to have on passive, uh, passive income. Do these percentages, are they a, a ratio between how much money you invest in the, the the funds. So when I say seven percent or eight percent, that's the historical return of like the last two hundred years on the stock market. So when I quote that, like, hey, you know, two hundred seven percent, this, this, and this, um, that's where I refer to then, and that's just simply based on you know the actual amount you've got in stocks and what comes out every single year, which is seven percent return on average. But on average does mean you know over like a period of like twenty twenty five years where you've got drops of fifty percent and years where it goes up thirty percent on average, it goes up like that and it's just a, a good man- benchmark to throw out like hey you know historically speaking it goes up by seven eight percent versus hey you know if i go in real estate and i get 12 percent you know uh, pros and cons uh, and risks you can really well balance and process in that way and i also believe um Aramint has a comment on this well if you're talking about the seven percent from the stock market 
that is really an average because, you know, there's there's crashes, there's cycles, uh, but there's proof that I think since 1950, the stock market average uh, return has been 7%. I mean, if you look at 2008, well, it'll be minus 20, I think. But then if you look in the past year, I think it's 21%. So every year it's it changes, it fluctuates, it's not super stable. But the trick is to hold, hold you know, buy and hold. You don't want to sell when it goes down. Uh, you don't want to panic when everyone else panics. You want to chill, you know, huddle. <laughs> so <laughs> that's very important because it's very important to remember that you only lose money when you sell. You don't actually lose money when the stock market goes down. So it's all about keeping your head cold and not stressing out. And it will fluctuate. There's probably a crash coming in two years, but I'm not worried about it. Everyone's going on and on about, oh, there's going to be a crash. Oh, it's overvalued. Yeah, I know, but that's economy. That's uh, economics, sorry. It's going to happen. It's going to crash and then it's going to go back up. I'm not really worried about it. Um, so that's the 7%. Uh, what other percentage? The 1% rule. That's that's not a yield. Well, I mean, yeah, it is, but uh, that's a yield for real estate. And that's just uh, higher than 7%, which is why I like it. So... I mean, that's just a rule of thumb to make sure that your rent is good, a good return. And what I think is also uh, for me, because I'm, I'm just you know thinking a bit long term. So uh, with, with with the yields, so let's say you know that uh, you have uh, let's say a million euros in uh, in invested, right? Uh, and then you know you are having a seven percent uh, on average i mean it's not going to be every like we said, just said right it's not going to be every year seven percent so when people do the calculations they're going to say they're not going to say okay well i'm going to get uh, i don't know uh, say fifty thousand sixty thousand uh, euro, uh, euros a, a, a year from my uh, investments yeah correct and it's also like how you should think on it like it's a nice average, it's a nice benchmark, but don't overfocus on it because in the end, you know, it's about the strategy in the end. Say you've got 20, 25 years and you know on average your stock market has returned 7, 8%. Um, you can use that for calculations, for forecasts. And, uh, you know, say you've got four or five different, like most people in the financial independence community, they, they like to use like different uh, asset classes and combine them all. So they create like a cluster of different investments and with all kinds of different yields. Like where it's about in the end that you get to like a good balanced number, um, you know, say you get 12% out of real estate and 10% out of peer to peer and out of stocks you get five or six and your savings accounts get you two and your bonds will get you three. That combination should be a good, stable, solid number. And, you know, say you use it for a forecast as a cumulative number over like the next 20 years. It's going to get you from, you know, your initial 50,000 where you add another thousand a month to and you give it 20 years to grow. It's going to get you. I have no clue what the number will be, but it's probably like, you know, more than enough to retire. Going from there, that's actually, you know, where that's kind of about. Um, You're not forced to to take that money out, right? The the 7% that you make or you, or you, let's say, on average, you get from, uh, from your investment. You can reinvest that again, right? Correct, absolutely. And that's where compounding comes in because if you take it out, then it defeats the whole purpose of investing. The, like the whole, you know, the, the good part is like compounding it. So your 7%, if you leave it in there, the next year it adds to your growth and it compounds and it strengthens and it strengthens. And the snowball argument I was talking about earlier with real estate also kind of applies like this to stocks. So yeah, absolutely. You can take it out technically, but that would not be advisable. Leave it in, let it grow. 
and we actually need it, then either take it out via income or just selling on, uh, selling off stocks and living off that. Like that's the whole purpose. Now, a really good question. Frohes Fest. Frohes Fest. Merry Christmas and Joyeux Noël. Feliz Navidad. Ho, ho, ho. We start our mega giveaway Christmas challenge. Hello, everyone. So, yeah, we've got a very exciting giveaway challenge here at Financial Independence Europe podcast uh, taking place in the next three weeks. And the winners will be announced on the 23rd of December. But one second, Alvar, why again are we doing this giveaway? Really good question, Araminta. So we actually got a couple of reasons. We just really like to spread the word of FI, connect with more people around the EU, and also, to be blunt, get a couple more iTunes reviews. But I'm also curious, Matthias, how the heck do I do this? How do I participate? It's very simple. You just go to xmas.financial-independence.eu and you find all the details written there. And by the way, the more you share, the more love you get from Araminta and all of us. Yeah, very important. The more you share, the more points you get, more likely you are to win. And wait, what are you exactly supposed to win? So the prizes are, number one, a free ticket to the Financial Independence Retreat next year. Very exciting. The second prize is one hour of coaching with the one and only Ken, founder of the award-winning site, The Humble Penny. Or you can also have one hour of coaching with us, the Five Europe team. Third prize is the sustainable frugal package, some cool items from Amazon, very excited. And you will get that delivered uh, at your doorstep. Fourth prize are some hand-picked top financial independence books. And for everyone who enters a bonus episode for 2019, no more saying anything there. If you want more details, go to xmas.financial-independence.eu and you'll find more information there. Looking forward to hearing from you and Merry Christmas. You're a software engineer, is it right? As an employee? Yeah, I'm I'm an IT engineer, so I'm I'm, I'm specializing in the, the infrastructure, not, not the software development. Yeah, maybe you want to create your own company or freelance or yeah, or you have a company with one person or two persons. Then you could also invest as a company maybe and you um, can also, uh, you only have to pay tax when you take it out of the company. So that could also be an idea to, to invest. Estonia. Yes, Estonia or in the Netherlands, it's also possible, I guess. Yeah, so you you save your tax on on your um, I never knew that on the money you make. Good note, Matthias. Uh, in the Netherlands, it's called a BV, a tax BV, and a good thing to throw into that, like a rule of terms, like if you have a portfolio beyond three hundred thousand euro, it's worth it to save on well tax and go through all the trouble opening it up. But you know, for us smaller investors, with the tools available, it's in a, for the Dutch situation. It's you know, unless you have a crazy high two hundred k income or some. Thing or you have a unique situation, uh, like I haven't uh, come across like somebody advising, okay, open up a company and go from there, uh, like for investing purposes. But if you in the Netherlands, it's called ZZP'er. There are definitely examples where that can work because there are a lot of tax exemptions. That's, that's also a good one to throw in because the money you make, then you can either just, you know, invest as a business, save on tax like that on the long term and just pay yourself out a dividend when you're ready for it. Um, but again, listeners, please do your own research on that because you've got a tax investment part of a BV, you got as a ZZP'er BV, so as an um independent freelancer employee where you can play around with it. There's so many different versions and variations within countries. It's uh, it's hard to give a formal recommendations on that, but that's what I know about the case on the Netherlands. And yeah, well, I've tried it myself partly as, as a bear in the Netherlands uh, and 
Well, besides that, just read a ton of it on blogs. Nicholas, uh, any thoughts or notes or clarifications needed on that? No, I think that that is spot on. And of course, obviously, the broker will be the one, let's say, paying you out uh, when you want it, how you want. Correct? Correct. Well, it actually, so say, um, you know, you invest via the Giro uh, for 20 years straight and you want to take your money out. I hope by that time they have a feature to just pay you out automatically. But right now you still have to go in and like sell the stocks you want to or simply pocket the dividend and, you know, register a payout on the Giro. You know, say you want a thousand a month, you have to log in every single uh, month once. Sell stocks or just, you know, pay out the cash that's in there to your account. That just automatically, that's sadly enough not available. But yet, but it's indeed correct. You want, um, they will, the money will come out of that entity where you, which you have used for your investments. But it's actually a good one. We should write them a letter and guys, please add like a function to sell off things automatically and pay me out. It's really poor. And as a software engineer, Niklas maybe wants to write a workflow to just um, put out the money from the one account and send it to the other account. But it's uh, it's uh, not possible. <laughs> yes. Uh, Matthias, you mentioned earlier about uh, also investment on, on, on peer-to-peer. Now, of course, you cannot, you know, let's say choose, uh, uh, there's no peer-to-peer option, uh, let's say in the Giro or via broker. You have to go via different peer-to-peer service. Um, yes, you have to go to the peer-to-peer platform. Normally, you, you have to create the account um, with, the, with these companies. Uh, you send the money to their bank. And, but you, it's not a real bank account. Then they, they just have your money uh, in their in their company, and they keep sending out the loans. In in Robocash, I've seen an option for for payout that you can maybe um, if you get the the interest that they can pay, pay out. But it doesn't mean that it pays out on your on your bank account. It just pays out on your Robocash account. So there's also no option that they automatically send you money every month. That would be really cool. I'm not sure why they're not implementing this. I, I know why they're not implementing it. They don't want you to take out the money. <laughs> I think um, if you want to learn more about peer-to-peer, you really should check out um, Jorgen's blog, financial financiallyfree.eu. Really good. We interviewed him and he's got, he's like basically an expert. He's uh, invested in 10 different peer-to-peer platforms and he's reviewed them. He's experimented with them. He's even gone all the way to the Baltics to visit them and, and to talk with them. If you want to learn more about peer-to-peer, I recommend checking out his blog. And peer-to-peer offers a pretty cool, like, you know, 11, 12% return. So it's nice. And one thing that's also advisable, we ran two episodes uh, on peer-to-peer. One actually with Jürgen himself, where we like reviewed the entire peer-to-peer state and like how to get started and do that and how he does it personally, which is really advisable for anybody wanting to start out with peer-to-peer lending. And we also interviewed the peer-to-peer lending platform Robocash, where you get a really good insight on like the background of how the platform works technically. And for us finance nerds, you know, we want to know what's happening with our money and like how people actually process it and what happens if somebody goes bankrupt, etc. So it would also be quite an advisable uh, one. So sorry, Nicholas, we keep ranting on. <laughs> um, uh, and yeah, is there anything uh, else you would like to know on that? And finally, I think, which is also related, so um, is what about uh, foreign exchange investment? So for me, uh, having lived in the UK for, for, for some time, uh, you know, I've been thinking, you know, what about if I buy some uh, pounds when, let's say, uh, it'll be at the low and hold that on for some time and then hopefully the British economy will pick up or the market will pick up and then, you know, do some selling. I personally think um, I'm, I'm not buying... 
cryptocurrencies on on purpose but i for example i own some startup shares on on cedars and they are in in british pounds but uh, normally uh, in this, these peer to peer platforms for example you can also invest in in russian currency and in in other uh, in many currencies but um you have to learn um how to assess this um or what what are your assumptions uh, when a currency uh, will go up and when it will go down i think it's it's okay to have different currencies but hmm hmm i'm not an expert in in this currency trading stuff um i um i think that it, it's timing of the market which is always risky so i stay away from that <laughs> yeah if you if you buy a stock um i mean if the company makes more money has more products more customers the stock will go up probably but currency it's depends on politics it depends on random <laughs> um no i'm not sure it doesn't hurt i think to have some us dollar and to have some some pounds and some euros, but I, I, yeah, it's hard to say. Maybe Alva's an expert. He's an expert in everything. I don't think so. I'm just a noob trying to understand things. Anyway, so um, like my take on that kind of is that I really agree with uh, like what what my co-host said, but I also feel it's important to understand it. So you know you are able to utilize changes when they happen. So don't time the market like on purpose, but when you happen to be in the situation. Make use of it a little bit. Example of that would be, so like I've lived in a lot of different countries, which kind of forced me to use different currencies. And, and a really good example pretty much would be, I was in New Zealand two years ago and I saved up quite a bit of money there while working. And when I wanted to leave the exchange rate towards Euro. So and in that situation, what happened pretty much is like, I had uh, roughly um, 11K New Zealand dollars, which is like 6,000 Euro uh, at the time, 6,300 6, something at the exchange rate at the, that time. Uh, but the rate had dropped quite drastically in the period I was there. And I could have shipped it back to Europe uh, but I would have paid quite drastically over that. And I just didn't want to do that. So I decided to leave the money in a term deposit in New Zealand and simply ship it back once the exchange rate was more suitable or better for me. And the nice thing about New Zealand is that the term deposits actually still yield 3 to 4% uh, on like a one-year uh, term deposit instead of like the 1% you get in Europe. So it was actually kind of worth it. I consider it as like my bond part of portfolio a little bit. It's just a safe, risk-free investment and a bit of cash available, you know, for when the actual crash comes or when I need it for other purposes. But in essence, it was a situation where like I was familiar with uh, exchange or foreign exchange uh, trade rules and just currencies and I ended up in a situation where you know I you know I didn't need the money straight the way I did not want to invest it all because you know the market was quite overvalued and I already had enough in stocks at its moment as a percentage part of my portfolio and I wanted to have some cash and a safer investment so at that point it made a lot of sense so in essence I feel currencies you have to be aware of it when situations come where you can utilize the situation you know, for your own uh, advantage, but don't try to time the market with like big market moves and like, hey, you know, this drops a bit and oh, the euro will might go up at 10 cents or whatever. I don't feel that's our place because we can't influence it and we can't predict it, but making use of it a little bit is okay. And in terms of your portfolio, like what I personally do is I really like to stick to two main currencies, the US dollar and euro, euro because it's my home-based currency and the dollar because it's the world reserve currency and simply the biggest one available. And if you want to invest in a lot of companies, you're kind of forced to invest in dollars. 
So like sticking to those and balancing them out, you know, if the dollar gets a way larger position of your portfolio and the euros, that's something we can debate, you know, based on in which part of your accumulation phase you are. But like, that's how I use uh, foreign exchange or, uh, sorry, currencies. And yeah, don't time the market. But, you know, if you end up in a situation where, no, yeah, you've got savings in another currency, if it's a little bit, just transfer it and be done with it. Uh, but if we're talking about larger amounts, don't time the system, but play the system if you have the chance, which kind of, you know, talks or like plays against each other, but sometimes makes sense if that makes any sense. I think uh, the simpler, the better. Really, um, I, we got this advice from Barney from The Escape Artist, and he gives really good advice, which is the simpler, the better. And I like Alvar's take on, you know, just US dollars and euros. And if you're in America, then just US dollars probably, or maybe a bit of euros to diversify. But uh, the simpler, just start simple and don't complicate your life. Uh, you know, and once once you feel that you understand it a bit better and that you're a bit more of an expert, then you can start researching. But yeah, simple is good. Yeah, Nicholas, I really think we've had some great value. Like, I really hope we've been able to help you a little bit with your questions, but also for you know, ourselves trying this out for the first time and like you know debating like this. I, I think it worked out pretty well, and also for the listeners, like there's a lot of value, little nuggets, but in there. Um, I can really provide some strong context on like, how the heck do I do things? And, you know, when I start out, et cetera. Um, and, you know, we should also absolutely do this again in like three months. See where you're at that you, in your journey. For sure. Definitely. I'll be definitely up for that and, you know, give some feedback and say, okay, this is what worked for me. This is what didn't work or this is what I did and this is what I got stuck on. For sure. Yeah, I'll be more than happy to come back and share my, uh, let's say, progress. That sounds like a plan. In that case, Nicholas, thank you so much for coming on to the show. Thank you. See you next time. Thank you very much. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.